2 Peter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, has received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and virtue. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The study that we've been giving to these words here in verse 2 about the knowledge of God is precious in every way. To know, to truly know our wonderful God who really does love us and has saved us from our sins and who will preserve us throughout all eternity is truly a treasure beyond our imagination. The confidence that we have in Him. And may I add that our having this special knowledge that's spoken about here is also absolutely essential to our being able to do our part in this relationship that we have with Him and our response back to Christ. And especially to be able to understand and to believe and to trust His promises such as these spoken about here in verses 3 and 4. Let me read these again for us. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The Apostle Paul would add there, we are then therefore without excuse. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Note these words in verse 3 carefully, that God's divine power, His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we will need for everything that we will ever need to be and to do. But as we continue this study, on down just a few words after this, we find that unless we have an ever-increasing knowledge of God, an ever-increasing knowledge of God, our ability to understand and our ability to have and to do and to live a life of godliness will be greatly hindered. And for that reason, may we emphasize again that as we have, as we have been over these past two messages now, that this knowledge of God is like no other kind of knowledge. It is a deep and intimate understanding of who God really is, of His holiness, of His righteousness, of His trustworthiness to fulfill those promises that are spoken about here. And the only way we can gain this deep and intimate knowledge of God is twofold. It's through our study of these Scriptures and through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit ministering the meaning of these words to us. Unless you have both, you and I are not going to gain in knowledge. You and I cannot understand these Scriptures without the presence of the Holy Spirit ministering their meaning to us. 
How else will we ever be able to move out of the darkness that we are born into? How else will our blinded eyes be open to the precious truths of God's all-powerful and eternal love for us? It can only come through the Holy Spirit ministering His truths to us. Now consider for a moment. It's been said that most all the people of the earth believe in a God. Some sort of God. Whether they be Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu or like some of those animists that believe in a whole host of different gods. All those people believe that their God is powerful. At least more powerful than they are. That's why they fear those gods and why they obey them. And people do all sorts of things. Foolish things. Heinous things in order to appease and to please those gods. And probably the most visible and evident example of that that's taking place today is with the Muslim terrorists. They kill themselves and they kill innocent people all because they believe that their God wants them to do that and that their God will reward them for their obedience. Thankfully, our God does not guide us into that sort of evil behavior. But listen... Though that be true, we still, in our smaller ways, can be led into foolish behavior. And we have to be very careful. We may not go so far as to do the things that the terrorists do. But unless and until we really do surrender our hearts to Christ and begin to devote ourselves to getting to know Him, getting to believe His truths, then we'll do all sorts of things wrong. We'll believe things that we're not supposed to believe. Though we may believe those things because we believe that He wants us to believe them. Why do we believe those things that are not true? It's because we haven't been studying and making the knowledge of God known to our own heart. I think the best example is that is all these different denominations that we have out here today. Every one of our denominations have been formed because we think God wants us to do it this way. And all the other denominations think the same thing. And even churches within those denominations. May I confess to you that I sincerely believe that there is much within the variations within the denominational beliefs that are not only foolish but they are being fed and fueled by the demonic world. That demonic world that fills this darkness that you and I can't see within right now. But it's all around us, every day, right now. And that is only possible when ordinary Christians like us fail to take the time to pick up this Bible every day and ask the Holy Spirit to minister these words to us, to learn of Him, So again, I implore each of us to make the reading and the study of these Scriptures an absolute requirement each and every day of our lives. And not only reading and study, but also to beseech the Holy Spirit to explain them to us. Tell me, Lord, what I'm reading here. My mind is not able to know it on its own. I need You, Holy Spirit, to explain it to me. 
consider again the matter that I mentioned a moment ago about the reason why people worship and obey other gods. That they perceive that their God has power. Power beyond their own. And they want their God to use that power to give them something that they want and need. That's what takes place in every religion. And with us as Christians, it's much the same. That's why we pray. We perceive that God has power. And we're told here, His divine power has granted us all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. We perceive that God has power and we want Him to help us in whatever matters that are before us. And that's a right thing to do. Philippians 4 verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We sang that a moment ago. We need to be praying all of the time. Scripture tells us be continually in prayer. And we do perceive that God is powerful and He's able to answer and to provide the things that we want. But you and I really do need to be careful of that. We need to be careful that we do ask for the right things. Too often we're like children in a toy store. We're asking, crying out for things that may not be good for us to have. Thankfully though, thankfully God most often does not answer those foolish prayers that we have. Thankfully. I say thankfully because I have prayed many a foolish prayer. And I've gone back later and said, thank you Lord that you didn't, you didn't give me what I wanted in that prayer. It's foolish. The Lord is righteous and He is holy. And He really can't do anything that violates His own righteousness and holiness. And we can be confident of that. And that's especially so when we're asking for something that really will lead us down the wrong path. Praise be to God, beneath the fabric of all that takes place is a special plan that God has for us. It's one that He set into place even before the foundations of the earth. Let me read this for you. Jeremiah 29.11, a verse that I've shared with you often. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. There are plans for your welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And when did He make that plan? Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us, listen, just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. He has a plan for us. And He made that plan all the way back before the foundations of the world. And He will carry it forward. It is God's desire and His plan for you and me to be holy and to live live out that holiness in our lives. And He Himself will never lead us down a path that way that will violate His own holiness. But then what about our own flesh? It's spoken about here at the end of verse 4, the sinful desires. What about our own flesh? That thing that was born into each one of us at birth. That nature that has at its core 
sinful desires and behaviors. What are we supposed to do with that? Thankfully, again, God answers that question right here in verse 3. It is His divine power, and that divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. The evil desires of others, but also the evil desires within our own hearts. This special divine power that's spoken about here is the power that every one of those people out there with all of their gods won't. But only our God really has it. Only our God really has this kind of power. And it's by and it's through His divine power that the desires of our flesh, those daily desires of our flesh to do wrong things, are kept under control. And we can have this this life and godliness that He speaks of here in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. May I pause here for a few moments and consider the special word that's given here that describes God's power. The word divine. Divine. It's a word that sets our God apart and above all those other would-be gods that are out there. What does it mean for our God to be divine? The Bible dictionary and then also our secular dictionaries tell us that the word divine is a word that relates specifically and directly to God Himself and to His deity. And yes, the secular world does try to commandeer that word and use it to refer to their own deities, but it really doesn't work. For us as devoted Christians, this word divine speaks about God, the one true God, and about His divinity. And that divinity, that deity, includes all three persons of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as we read these words, His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We know from whom that power comes that enables us to have that life and godliness. And we're not going to have it otherwise. It is only through His divine power. It is not you and me picking up on all these church principles and just really doing well at them. It's not you and me practicing being a good Christian. Most of the time, those are good habits. But they they have no power within them. This is where the power comes from. This is where the power comes from. Now, I want to repeat myself and remind us that according to these words, you and I also, though, do have our part to play. We do have our part to play. We have to be careful in how we do them so that we don't just get all caught up in practicing church principles. And we have to remember in every one of them that it is this divine power of God that makes it possible. It is Him who has called us to His own glory and virtue. But with that being said, you and I really do have a responsibility in all that takes place, beginning with what He just got through telling us here in verse 2, and that is this knowledge of Him. Truly knowing Him. I know I've repeated that several times over the past two or three weeks. 
But you and I have to get past where we are in our knowledge of Him. You might want to think, well, I do know God. No, let me just say to you, none of us know Him the way He wants us to know Him. You and I need to read and learn the depths of who God is. We need to know His nature. We need to know His character and His ways. And you and I need to beseech the Holy Spirit to explain it all to us. I know I've said that uh, two or three times today. But you and I need to beseech the Holy Spirit to explain it all to us. Lord, tell us what you mean. Else we'll not be able to recognize... Listen, this is so important. You and I will not be able to recognize God's will and God's hand in matters of daily life as they take place. We'll not be able to see His hand. We'll not be able to see what He's doing. We'll just think it's what other people are doing. It's someone else doing something wrong to us. What do I mean? It's hard to be able to see unless you and I have eyes to see. That's a a statement that Jesus would say often there in the Gospels. He who has eyes to see, he who has ears to hear. For us to recognize the divine hand of God as He exerts His divine power in some of the circumstances of our lives, we're going to have to really be uh, in tune with His Holy Spirit. This last word here, virtue, by His own glory and virtue. Verse 3. That word is translated, it's a Greek word, ariarte, which is translated as either goodness or excellence or virtue. And what it means is all three of those. It means the highest degree of moral goodness and virtue and excellence. But in God's working out, listen, in God's working out of His goodness in the practical matters of our daily life, though He is always good, He will sometimes, perhaps often, be good in ways that will not fit our minds as being good. Let me say that again. As He works out His goodness in the practical matters of our daily life, His goodness will sometimes and perhaps often not fit our minds as being good. But Psalm 119 verse 68 is always true. There it says, you are good, speaking of God. You are good and you do good. Those simple words about God being good are at the foundational core of who He is. And you and I will only get to know how good He is as we spend time in this this Word and as, as His Holy Spirit ministers to us. He is good and He does good, but... Again, too often, God's definition of good will simply not fit our minds. We have our own personal way of defining what good is. And if God defines good in a matter as to include suffering, we immediately reject His kind of goodness. You have whole denominations that believe in deliverance from every one of these. We think it's strange that we should suffer. We quickly cry out to God to remove that suffering from us, to deliver us from our suffering. But again, God's goodness does not always fit our mind. And sometimes that suffering, perhaps often, that suffering 
will come from His hand by His intentions. Suffering is often a very needful process. Helping us and helping others. Best example is Jesus Himself who suffered so that others, so that you and I could gain eternal life. His suffering then was a very good thing. A very good thing. And it's because you and I are called to be His disciples that we will suffer. He warned us about that. That if we're going to be His disciples, then we will suffer the same sufferings that He does. And as we closed last week, we used the verse there in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Suffering is a very needful thing as a disciple. I recall a passage from C.S. Lewis's book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, when Susan asked Mr. Beaver about Aslan, that you'll recall the great lion that represents the personage of Christ in that story. Mr. Beaver responded to Susan saying, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, she said. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. As the old servant Job came to understand, there really is nothing safe about God. At least not in the way that we understand the word safe to be. Just as Job suffered, you and I will suffer often in this life. But because God is always good, if and as we love Him and remain called according to His purposes, He will surely always work everything together for our good. Now we need to stop here. We'll continue this next week. But one last thought before we close. We need to be careful to not allow our times of suffering to cause us to doubt God or to question His goodness. As we said a moment ago, sometimes God's form of goodness will simply not fit our minds. We'll not be able to explain it to others. It's in those moments that you and I will need to just grab hold of and hang on to the faith and the trust that the Holy Spirit has put into us. God truly is good. Though we may not understand His goodness in those moments of suffering, with patience and with trust, He will eventually reveal His plans and His purposes to us. We are His children. We are His sons. And He'll tell us what it's all about. And then we'll be able to say, Yea, Lord, You truly are good. You truly are good. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Let's pray.